Attention, please. Places for top of show. Places for top of show. Hello, and welcome to Twins Talk Theater. We are Cindy and Stacy, and we're talking about theater, backstage life, and all the excitement that the audience doesn't get to see. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Behind the Curtain, a special series of Twins Talk Theater in the Long Beach Playhouse. I'm Sean Gray, the producing artistic director of the Long Beach Playhouse. Cynthia, Stacy, and I are excited to be able to team up to shine a spotlight on some of the talented people that often go unnoticed to an audience. In Behind the Curtain, the twins interview backstage artists, stage managers, designers, and other theater technicians that have helped to create the magic of the shows at the Long Beach Playhouse. They are a wonderful, dynamic, and diverse group of people, and we are proud and excited to highlight their stories and their contributions to one of the oldest continually operating community theaters in California. So enjoy listening, and thank you, Cindy and Stacy, for all the work you do to bring your love of theater to a larger community. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's podcast. Uh, this week, we are talking to Donnie Jackson, who uh, is an award-winning LA-based freelance lighting designer. I started working with him a number of years ago at the Long Beach Playhouse. I think you've been there around seven years I think I've been there eight years. Yeah, something like that. Um, He's currently also an Ovation Awards judge with Stage Alliance. He's the head of the technical theater and design at Cypress College. And he has worked in like every theater around Southern California doing lighting design for uh, going to Facebook. And there's like 500 connections with him and everybody else. And I'm like, oh, you worked at that place too. So welcome to the podcast, Donnie. (laughs) Thank you for having me. So we always uh, like to start with how how did you get into theater and did you know you wanted to do lighting when you started or did it kind of morph into lighting design? I let's see let's see I started in high school so this is actually my twentieth year. Yeah, we started uh, in high school. Yeah, November was my twentieth year and I actually was able to do a show which was nice. Um, it was virtual, but at least I had an opening night to commemorate. Um, one of three this year. <laughs> so, um, I've only had two, so congrats. That's awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, I started in high school. All of my friends were performers. <laughs> and so my the fall of my junior year, uh, they basically, I just had heard about a meeting for anybody who wanted to be like a techie or work backstage. And they were like, if you want to be um, on the crew for the show, the show up at this meeting. And I knew I didn't want to be a performer, but all my friends were over there. So I was like, well, this is something I can do. And I had always really enjoyed behind the scenes, anything, anything that was behind the scenes on TV, um, movies, film, anything like that, I would always watch. So I'd always had an interest in it, but I'd never pursued it. So that's just kind of how that started. And then um, let's see, about a year later, my senior year, I started focusing a little bit more on lighting. Our drama teacher's husband, Perry Seitz, he was a professor at, um, at oh, gee, it's in Whittier, Rio Hondo. Rio Hondo. He was the lighting design professor at Rio Hondo and he did our designs and I started running the board. And I remember one night we were looking uh, at a scene and he was trying to figure out how to do thunder and lightning outdoors during the day. And he's like, how am I going to make this effect work? And then I told him, I was like, oh, the scene is at night. And he's like, oh, the scene's at night. So we double checked the script and then he just told me 
what to do in the booth on the board. And I just, that was the first time I had seen him take a scene that was day and turn it into night and have it read to the audience. And so I was like, okay. So it was very simple what he did. You know, we don't, you know, have a ton of lights in a high school black box, but it was, it was a way of me seeing, okay, here's how you do it. Here's how it's done visually. And um, I just kind of stayed with lighting from then on. I was hired the year after I graduated to um, to design lights for them while I started uh, at El Camino College. I was there for about a year and a half getting uh, their automated lighting certificate. And I designed at the high school. There's a certificate in that? There was. It's not Oh, there. that's pretty awesome, though. Uh, yeah. And so I was able to get that. And then, yeah, I just ended up staying in theater, but I had to kind of work my way through it. Um, our high school professor, she was really good at encouraging us to do it, but I didn't know the path for a designer. So I had to kind of feel my way through it. So it took me a little while. I, I didn't have my BA until I was about 25. Um, so it, was, it took me about three years longer than, than some of the other people who were in the program, but I was navigating it. You know, a lot of people didn't know what I wanted to do. My high school counselors did not know what I wanted to do. <laughs> yep. I told them that I was our, because we had a we had an improv team, comedy sports. I don't know if you guys remember that or if you ever had that in high school. We but had it. A, it. I, okay. It was around. We just didn't pay much attention to it. No worries. <laughs> uh, I was the manager for our team um, because I didn't want to play. So that kept me neutral. <laughs> I, I just did all the scheduling and everything. And I wanted to go to school for design. And my counselor combined that and told the principal I wanted to be a stand-up comedian you're like mm. <laughs> I'm like she knew stage and she knew I did something with the word comedy in it and she told him that I was an aspiring comedian and but so I was like that's like, nothing to do with design like that's not no even no close. I yeah I don't know yeah I, there was not a lot of nice woman but there was not a lot of <laughs> guidance for it so I really had to sort of figure it out on my own and it's kind of worked my way through it. But yeah, I stuck, I, I stuck with it. So, so wait, did you get the, the um, automation certificate then before you got your BA or did you get your BA and then do the automation certificate? So the path I did El Camino for a year and a half and I got my lighting certificate. Then I tra then I went to Fullerton college and mm, got my okay. AA and then I transferred to Cal state long beach to finish the BA, and then my master's is at UCLA in lighting. So that was my ladder. <laughs> so, so you're like, let's hit up as many colleges as we can in Southern California. <laughs> yeah. Let's try out all the programs. Let's try out all the professors. A little bit, and I actually like, there. there is something to be said about staying at one place, but what I liked is it broadened my network. And yeah. after a year or two at each place, I... Um, I was able to learn a different methodology. I was able to learn a different approach. So it, I think it, it it was beneficial in that way. I think, uh, and I and you know I'm probably biased because I I'm teaching at a community college now, but I I do like the spend two years because it's so much cheaper. It's so much more affordable. That's get true. that training there and then transfer for for those reasons of just learning uh, learning more names, knowing more people in the field. So that when you get out there, you've all but doubled the amount of connections that you've got when you walk out the door. You know what I mean? I think it just kind of gives you um, a little bit uh, of an advantage. Well, and what you said about perspective, like you kind of learned how to do lighting from watching the professor, the, the teacher in high school, you know, and 
if you go to two different colleges, you have those two different perspectives from two different lighting people, which, you know, is would have been awesome in, in college, especially for stage management, you know, like, oh, there's this way of paperwork and this way of paperwork. There's this way to call cues and this way to call cues, you know, like that's an awesome idea. Yeah, we just started our stage management class. So I'm really excited that's um, that, that that's going right now because I, I didn't realize we didn't have it when I was first hired. Ah. Yeah, I was like, how come we don't have a lot of stage managers? Like, we don't have a class. I was like, oh, let me put that on the list. <laughs> <laughs> that's an issue. <laughs> oh, we got to work yeah, on that one. So. <laughs> well, yeah, good. I'm glad you now have a class on that. <laughs> yeah, we launched four new classes this year. Nice and we are virtual right now. Um, and I just said we're just gonna do it anyway. Um yeah. I because yeah, it takes, believe it or not, it um, and these aren't any like deep dark secrets, but it takes about two years to get a new class or certificate launched in the community college program because it has to be written and it has to be that's how classes are created. They call it writing a class. So it has to be written and then we make it. It goes through the boards and clearances and things like that, um, and then you can you can officially launch it and add it to your curriculum. So we added stage management, video and projections, computer aided drafting, and oh. uh, industry prep. Oh so my god! Drafting is set to start in the fall. Hopefully, I, that's part of another project I'm working on is getting a design lab, and. Um, because we have the grant, we just have to, we just have to find the space. But I was able to get us a grant my first year, uh, and um, and yeah, so it's just about sort of building it up and and creating a tech program at Cyprus um, as good as I you know as good as I know how. That's Before amazing. we jump into Cyprus, because uh, that's a fairly new job, right? You've only been there a couple years. So I've been there. This is my seventh year altogether. The first four, okay. I only taught lighting and intro to theater. I was part time. And then my fifth year, I got um, the full-time gig for the design program. So this is my third year full-time. And this you're the... This is me, yeah, trying to think and write and type and multitask. And then be like, shoot, what was I doing after this? Um, yeah, seven all together, but three um, leading the design program. Yeah, so you're actually leading it. So did you, when you got hired full-time, were you like one year full-time and then you started leading it or your full-time was kind of the head of the... This was the full-time gig, was to... Um, the, the previous person... Actually, this painting behind me was in her class. Um, she was the prior uh, head of the program and she retired. And she, um, before she did, she actually was the one who brought me in to teach lighting. And when she retired, I ended up getting that gig. So... Um, it just kind of came full circle. And she was my first college professor at Fullerton. And now I'm at their sister school. So very. Everybody's very, connected. Uh, yeah, very twisted. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, yeah, our paths kept looping. But um, but yeah, that's I just kind of dove in and said, what can I do? Which is pretty common, which is I know why uh, when I met you at the Playhouse, uh, they were stuck with me because I'd been around for a number of years and I was like, Sean, we're going to be good friends. And so uh, when you joined, it was like, Donnie's doing this show and this one and this one and whatever <laughs> other show Donnie feels like doing. I'm like, great, perfect. That's That makes it simple. I know who's doing lights. Uh, so how did you get in with the Long Beach Playhouse? I know Cal State Long Beach uh, 
everybody from Cal State Long Beach seems to go through the Playhouse. Yeah, I'm working on making Cyprus one of those places too. Excellent. Uh, yeah. Um, so Sean and I went to there together as well as Madison. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, oh, two, okay. But yeah, I know, I knew the two of them. And when I finished grad school, um, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll be very blunt. I loved my grad school professor, but that program did not really set me up well afterwards when I graduated from UCLA. I had the degree and I had a great professor and mentor in Neil Jampolis, um, who came from, who came out of New York and he was there, I think about 20 years, somewhere around there, uh, maybe even a little bit longer, but he passed um, last, I think a year ago, spring. No, he passed last spring, I believe, is when he when he passed away. It was right before COVID hit, actually. It was right before it hit. And um, and when that when I uh, finished at the school, I was actually, for all intents and purposes, unemployed for two and a half years with a master's degree. So I, yeah. <laughs> and that was that was tricky because there was nothing steady. There was nothing stable coming in, and I I had this degree and I'm applying at a Target. I'm applying at a grocery store. I'm doing whatever I can just to make it. And so I just had to kind of hit the ground running. I was still freelancing, but nothing stable was keeping traction. And so the first place that I went to was the Playhouse because it's where I had people who I knew. And so Sean brought me in for the Glass Menagerie. And that was with Phyllis uh, Gitlin. Mm-hmm. I think I did props open. on that one. I remember collecting a bunch of little glass figures, so I think I was working on props. Okay. Oh, wow. I, yeah, then we've been working together a while. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was way back. And that was, um, yeah, and that, that project I really liked. And Andrew, who used to be the, the artistic director, um, he, he wanted to keep me around. And, and it just kind of went from there. And I got my first review. in a newspaper so that was nice and I just kept going from there I ended up doing the LA premiere of In the Heights after it closed on Broadway I did the LA production of it yeah uh, what was that Perez was on your show yes yes he He, was I worked with him a couple of times and he's been on the podcast so when I was looking through Facebook I was like oh Donnie and Benny of course they cross paths (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah I always thought that when a show toured and went to LA that was the premiere but they said it's got to be produced there to be the premiere I was like well I'll take the credit so hey. <laughs> so yeah um we had the we did the premiere of it and it was actually it was at a theater company in Boyle Heights um Casa 101 and it was their first English language production I believe and wow. so yeah and so we did it there and that went really well it was with a good friend of mine a director named Angela Cruz was the director on was no I'm sorry she was the stage manager on that show but she is she works as a director and um and I just kind of kept going I just sort of worked my way into LA stayed at Long Beach when I could um I was the resident designer for Four Clowns Jeremy Aluma's company he was another Long Beach state alum Mm -hmm. Um, I went and saw one of their shows at the Fringe Festival okay yeah for I think about two and a half years two three how long was I their resident? The number four is jumping out at me, but that's I think it, it says five. number four on your bio. 
Okay. I probably read your bio more recently than you, so. <laughs> oh, that's very possible. Uh, that got me my first New York gig. Um, off, off Broadway, but still New York. Uh, and I just kind of just, you know, you just kind of build a resume. You build a portfolio when you're first starting out. And eventually that starts to pay for itself. You can rely on the people that you've built on to hire you back and keep you working. And a good friend of mine, uh, Rick Zimmerman, who's a fellow lighting designer, he says, we keep each other working. Mm-hmm. He's like, so if you don't have the gig, pass it to a friend. If yep. they don't, you know what I mean? Like, it's all about yep. those connections and, and keeping it in in the family a little bit. It's not, um, it's not, it's refreshingly not competitive. I, I agree. I like if, if Sean or Larry or whoever calls and say, hey, I need help at the Playhouse, I'm not like, well, what are you going to pay me? I'm like, yeah, great. I can be there in two days or you need help. Here are some people I know or anything like that because, yeah, why hog it? If I'm busy, let's give it to somebody who's not busy, who I know could use the work and the experience and the connections and all that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I wish, yeah, if the numbers weren't so bad, I would go help at the Playhouse now. <laughs> like yeah. Okay. yeah. We did a little bit of that because um, that's one cool thing. Since I moved to Long Beach two years ago, I'm around the corner from. Oh from yeah, you are. Yeah, I'm very close. So it's um, so that's been really nice when I'm working there, but um, gives me absolutely no excuse to be late for a production meeting though. So <laughs> And also before COVID, there was no reason for me to ever get bored because they gave me keys to Andrew gave me keys long time ago. And so I just like show up and they'd walk backstage and I'm like, I reorganized your wood pile. <laughs> I think there's <laughs> still at least like two prop rooms I've never been in. Even <laughs> even after eight years. I think there's still I don't think I've been in that upstairs one. I was gonna yeah. say the ones upstairs. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I've been in, in there. There's there's still parts of that place i haven't been in i've almost i've almost never been in the costume shop so there's still parts of it even after all these years it does not look that big it doesn't look that big from outside but it's a maze <laughs> even inside though and you're like i don't i don't know where and even in some of the prop shops um I, the one like closest to the theater um yeah i go in there and then i'm like i'm just lost in here i don't know where to go after this i can't get out of the props room it does take a while i have two two questions my first one was you mentioned that it took you a while when you got out of UCLA and I don't want to like stir the pot, but I guess my question is, is it more just because of like lack of connections or lack of people working in the field or because you didn't feel like you had enough uh, knowledge and experience to start working? Sure. Or, I mean, you graduated at the wrong time, which is kind of what we did, you know, 2008 when everything was closing. And so there was just no work. Right, right, right. It was, so it wasn't a matter of skill. It was sort of the, the launching point. And it was a bit, it was that the connections I had weren't necessarily at sustainable places. So, mm. uh, okay. Uh, so like, for example, uh, UCLA owns the Geffen. I don't know if it's changed, but at the time they did not give you work there. And you would think if you go to graduate school at UCLA and they own the Geffen that you might get a crack at getting that on your resume. And that wasn't right. the case. And that wasn't the case for the master's degree um, performers either. And a lot of them thought that it would be. And some of them even said that it had been 
promised to them when they joined. And so we did make some noise about that, but nothing ever came of it in the time that I was there. So there were certain things that we thought were going to happen. Um, they do have more connections now. I believe uh, they have really strong connections to LATC and downtown LA. Mm -hmm. um, I know that for a while the artistic director was, or the chair was also the artistic director for La Mirada, I believe. So like they've built different connections and I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus. Uh, and Neil, like I said, Neil, rest in peace. Neil was great. But um, it, it, it was a little bit of not necessarily them just throwing me out there, but I just, that it, I'll put it this way. That's the reason why I wrote the industry prep class at Cyprus was so that when you get out there, here's how you take these skills you've got Here's how you get them organized on a resume. Here's how you have that website ready, a portfolio ready, so that you hit the ground running. Because I had to do all of that prep stuff after I already had it. And if you don't have anywhere to go, we also I also talk to them a lot about, you know, before you even get out there, start figuring out where are you going to go and where are these people going to get you? And I tell my students a lot, don't just look at the name of the school, look at who's working there and where are they mm -hmm. working currently so that mm -hmm. when you come out, when you're on the other side of it, they can get you someplace that's sustainable. You know what I mean? It's great to have um, staff that have a lot of experience, but if teaching is the only thing that they're doing now, they're just at that age where they're, you know, past retirement age and they teach a ton of wisdom. But if they haven't been keeping up with the technology, are you going to get that training? Or are you going to graduate and be behind? It, are they? Do they have connections that are currently working? Or are they the same generation as them, where they're all stepping back? You know what I mean? So that was kind of what it was. It was just there was a gen. I was trained in a generation gap, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. <laughs> so, yeah. so I got the artistic training, but there was some uh, technical sides to it that I still needed to gather. Um, and there were other students there, and I don't think they had the same experience. So it could have just been something individual to the path that I was taking. So I'm not, I don't want to make it sound as though that whole program is a wash. And Lap Chi Chu just took um, over the lighting program, and he's an incredible lighting designer. So I'm really excited for where I think that program is going to go um, in Neil's passing. But I, I, um, I, that is something that, I put it this way, every mistake or misstep that I took, I'm trying to build a bridge over in my program now. Now, when you mentioned that class was one of the new classes that you that you've added to your curriculum, I instantly was like, that's a class that everyone needs to have. And yes. all of us say that who've gotten out of school and it just doesn't exist in so many programs. <laughs> we talk about it in the stage managers association all the time. We're like, this is such a genius class. Why does it not exist for people? Like well, we've talked about it with other, yeah, with other teachers. We've talked about it with teachers we've had on here. And even with ourselves. like both of us, Cindy went to grad school. I stopped at undergrad, but at no point did they say, this is what you do now. They were just like, Hey, you graduated. And it's like, yeah, but I, my portfolio is kind of a portfolio, but it was all printed. I had no electronic stuff. I didn't have a web page. I barely had a resume. They didn't really do any training on how to like write a cover letter specifically for your industry or do like one-on-one -on -one interviews or things like that. And so it's just kind of like you graduated now figure it out. Yeah. And that's 
literally everything you mentioned. So we go over cover letters, business cards, websites, portfolios, if they have enough work to make one, or they'll do a mock version where there's just like, here's how I would lay it out, but I don't have anything yet. So at least they know the exercise of it. If they do, if they are at the point where they have a website, we look at that. Um, but yeah, I do resumes, cover letters, and then it ends in a mock interview with actually Larry was one of them. And I had a friend of mine who's an associate producer did the other. So by the time they get to the end of the class, they do get to make a connection to somebody in hiring um, so that they do have that first step. So that it's like, hey, you remember me? Here's where I am now if you're ever in need. So I tried to set it up so that it culminates in something instead of just um, instead of just like putting them out there with nowhere to go. So, but yeah, everything you just mentioned, I cover in that class and unions. We talked about some as well. Yep. Never learned about unions. Didn't know like what a regular pay, like what I should even ask for. What's the common pay rate? What kind of benefits should I be looking for? that information. Yeah. Right. None of it. Well, that's excellent. Um, Cindy and I are going to come take your class. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, come on down. It's very true. Actually, I'm like, I still need help with cover letters sometimes. This might be too many of any job application. Then my my second question was, how long did it take until you became became steady? Um, felt like you were steadily working in your profession. Sure, I would say about two years. Oh, that's to be honest. Fast. It, yeah. it took a while, um, and it was just a matter of making the work as strong as I could. You know, mm -hmm. there's got to be a work ethic. There's got to, you know, you've got to people please a bit. You have to, and just mm -hmm. treating it as a business and kind of taking mm -hmm. a little bit of, I don't want to say the ego out of it, but, you know, you've got to, I had to just really think of it as a business. I'm serving a producer and a director, not necessarily my own view of the show, if that makes sense. Like sometimes you're just working on shows that you don't really like very much, that aren't very good, but you need to dig in and find something creatively to do because you've been hired to do that job. So that was a mm -hmm. big part of it, just saying yes. A lot of times producers will send you something, hey, take a look at the script, tell me what you think. And I'm like, let me see, when is it? April, uh-huh, yeah, I'm free. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm taking it. And then, you know, it's not- When does it pay me? When does it fit in my schedule? That's great. <laughs> yeah. I was like, it doesn't, unless they're doing something brutally offensive on that stage, I'm going to say yes, if I'm free, because it's another connection. It's another step. You know what I mean? And and so at one point I was doing like two shows a month. So a week mm -hmm. a load in, a week a tech, a week a load in, a week a tech. And that just was normal for a while. And I've slowed down since I've gotten at the school, but I'm still freelancing at the school. Um, I'm still doing it um, just in different places. I um, was in the process of doing two shows at ICT, Long Beach. Um, I was supposed to have a show at La Mirada, um, hoping that that still happens at some point. So there were a few things in the works that just did not um, go through that are closer to where I am now. But you know, when something happens in LA, if I'm free, you know, I still have summer, I still have winter break or, you know, so, so you just find the ways of working it, um, of working it in. And I did, I also think is, um, something that's really important is just being forthcoming with everybody and to say, I teach on these days. I'm well, yeah. I want to do your show. I like the show, but here's my availability. And a lot of them have worked with that. They've worked with me on that. 
and they know that when I'm in the room, they're getting a hundred percent. And so it was just a matter of, you know, making myself a business, <laughs> if that makes sense, just really making it. Um, and you know, one of the producers that I work with, she refers to all of her directors as clients. And I was like, that's probably the best way to do it. It's creative, but it's still a professional endeavor and a commitment and yeah, that's kind of treating it that way, if that makes sense. Artist managers use the same thing, clients as opposed to artists, and treating it as a business. I mean, I was a little late to this podcast because I was, you know, sitting there. I was like, this is my time to do emails. And you have to think of it that way, too, I would think. Like, you, well, in, in my opinion, even though you're a designer and you like design, you still got to sit down and like respond to emails every now and then or take care of the paperwork. And I remember right. a, a coach, a vocal coach that I work with regularly, um, tells her students, tells the singers that too, like, yeah, you're a singer, but you need to set, even as a freelance artist, you need to set like office hours every week and you need to take care of the rest of, you know, like sending out the emails, responding to people, making connections. Like you can't just sing, you have to do the business part of your job as well in order to make yourself a business and to work in the industry. And I think that's something that's also just not taught in the, the, in schools, you know, it was never really taught to you that you have to do that whole business side of it. I just learned how to stage manage. Yeah. Even the details of like, uh, okay, I got a contract. I got to make sure they pay me the amount they said they're going to pay me. And then at the end of the year, I have to get my W9 or 1099. And then what write-offs do I have to have? I got to save those receipts and know where they go. All of that stuff nobody teaches you. Luckily, our parents did it and taught us, but so many people are like, oh, I'm not sure if I got paid. I was like, what do you mean you're not sure if you got paid? Like <laughs> the, the, the the privilege of that ignorance, wasn't it? <laughs> like, yeah. Of not, yes. not knowing, did I get that thousand dollars? Just think of where you have to be. Yeah, to, I'm like, I got an Excel that. spreadsheet. I know when I turn this into you. I know how much you owe me. I know when I expect to get it back. Like that credit card's yeah. got to be paid. Yeah, I know. Um, going back to my my UCLA professor, there was one time he was he was looking on his phone and he had an email from someone that said, "Oh, we didn't pay you for that show," and he's like, "Oh, I didn't even." Re-. I'm like, "This is a like he was a Tony winner, so he was getting money, and he didn't know that that." That he hadn't been paid. I'm like, you're right. That is the privilege of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, when do you? I was like, when are we? When do we get to that level? I remember as a student, like, okay, when do we make it to? I didn't get paid for the show and didn't notice money. <laughs> like, like what? What year does that happen? Um, if you figure it out, let us know. <laughs> yeah. um, I definitely will. Uh, one of the things, and this is kind of, I know we've been talking a lot about academics, but I think one of the big things missing in the educational theater system is the producer. That person yeah, does not exist in colleges. And that yeah. person gets the most heat from direct from designers when I work professionally. They do not know how to work with that person because they don't exist in the school. And so that's something that I try to remind my students. I'm like, this is how you work with a producer. This is what this person does. And this person will give you creative feedback and you need to be able to not get ticked off when they do because I see that a lot I see that more than any other person when the producer speaks up like I see so many designers turn their head like who why is this person even speaking to me and I'm like they're gonna do that you can try to fight it if you want to or you can roll with it but I'm like they're the person 
especially if you get East Coast, that's not the person you tick off. I was like that, you know what I mean? So I, but not having that person in the educational system as someone who we are trained as someone who's going to give creative input and as part of that collaboration, I think that makes a big sort of tension gap. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a very good point. Especially, at least in, in opera, it's like the artistic director, general director. And oftentimes, you know, you see that person the very first day of rehearsal and then they pop in like one during tech and give you notes and you're like, who are you to give me notes? You know, you're yeah. like, oh, like, you're the person that runs the company and makes all these decisions. But, you know, they're not the person that you see regularly. And the producer's the same thing. They're not there all the time. You forget yeah. they exist. And then they just like pop in and tell you what they think. And, yeah. Uh, and we only train that we train everyone that the director is God. Mm hmm. You know, we don't um, set them up for more voices and more input. And I'm like, you can get mad if you want to, but this person's not going away. And they're probably going to sign your check. So Right. They're learn... the ones that are going to be hiring you. Yes, exactly. So, like, learn how to work with that person for sure. I love that point. You're right. It's something that you just... You learn to deal with the director and that's it. Like, nobody else, nobody else is there. That's interesting. Uh, I want to ask about some awards because you've won a number of awards. Uh, I know for the Playhouse, you just won the Lighting Designer of the Decade Which from is Broadway World. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's awesome. It is. It is. It is awesome. It's. Um, I, I mean, these are community voted. So yeah, everybody online can vote. These people did not see the show. But I did. Like, well, it was Cabaret. It was Sean's yeah. show, Cabaret. So I actually watched it two or three times. Okay. By, well, no, I know that there are people, like, the longest <laughs> people saw it. But like, I know my like my students really pushed and did, and did some things. So like, once you open it up to the community, you just have to accept certain, the, 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 um, the spirit in which it is being given, I guess you should say. <laughs> it's really an honor to get it. And the fact that, that it did happen, and I, I'm very flattered um, that my students, you know, felt compelled to do it. So, no. It, it's well, really that's what cool. I was going to say. Even if they didn't see that specific show, they respect you and like you and like your work that they would do that. I mean, I have some professors that I was like, yeah, I'm not going to vote for you no matter <laughs> what. You know, so there's a lot to be said for that. No, it's great. And I will say, I'm glad that it was for that show. That was the second time I had done it. I actually co-designed it in grad school and I was able to do more with it this time. Uh, so that's to Sean's credit. There were certain things in it that he found. There were a lot of moments in it that he found. Oh my God, uh, I was crying he, at the end and I like hit him and I'm like, why do you always have to do shows that end me in tears? Every time. Uh, <laughs> He did. He really found a lot of strong moments in it. And one of the things that I love about working with Sean is that, and we spend a lot of time in tech. We spend a lot of time in tech. Yes. Um, but one of the things that I really like about working with him is he knows how to stage for lighting. He has an inherent understanding of designers. He knows that they don't have a follow spot in that stage. He knows where to put, he knows, he knows where all the cracks are and he knows how to cover them. <laughs> And he knows that physically know and that, mentally. Well, <laughs> yeah, he gives you a incredible canvas to work on. And so I'm really, you know, when I, I so when I see that award, I think, you know, that was for him, for his staging of it. That was for Spencer. We had an incredible set designer. I love Spencer. We have Spencer coming up next, I think. He should have been 
on that nomination list for that set because he gave me so many toys and so many areas to work in. So that's so like when whenever those things come up, it's like, you know, it, it's flattering, but it's it's part. It doesn't happen if the show's not there. I'm reacting to what I see. None of us work in a vacuum. So I do think, like you said, uh, awards like that are interesting because it's like, okay, well, the director might have won for director, but is it because the director was really great or because the the performers they were working with also were really awesome and the conductor was really awesome? You know, like it's not a vacuum. It's all these people together that make it such an amazing piece. For sure. Like Cabaret... Uh... Jumping back to that one, like the very end scene, usually they do the the death sentence to the main guy. But instead of just having the Jewish people on stage, Sean had every had the signs for for all the people who were put to death in the internment camp. So he had the gays represented and the gypsies and the Jewish people and everybody had signs. And then they strip the actor completely naked and he turns around and walks through a door. So he was put in like the gas chamber. And I was like, oh my God, I've never seen it done this way. And it was just, and then I think you had like a backlight or something. So it was like in silhouette when he walked like into the door, it was a very bright light. It was just, ah, stunning. Yeah. And then I was like, I'm supposed to clap and be excited, but I hate (laughs) the world. (laughs) It's, yeah, that that and hair are very difficult to do uh, curtain calls for. I've noticed. I've done them both a couple of times, and uh-huh. there's always a, there's always a a leap to get over to get into that curtain call because the ending is so um, solemn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not in the play. It's not Burger who dies. It's the other Claude. Guy. Claude. Claude dies. Yeah, um, yeah. In the I, movie. In the movie, it's Burger. Mm-hmm. In the play, it's Claude. But still, you're one of them is dead at the end, and everyone else is kind of standing there in shock. And you're like, "Yay, Bravo!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I worked with. Go on. I was just gonna say the first time because um, we did it when I was at Fullerton. We actually f- didn't do the curtain call. They mm. did like a funeral march down the aisles um, with his coffin lifted up to the center of the stage, wrapped in the American flag. And they all just went out and that was it. We just left the audience with that. So I've seen That's it done. Couple, yeah, I've seen it done a couple of different ways. Um, the Cal State Long Beach one, when we did it, um, they they did the curtain call, but they it opened with the names of everybody from Vietnam scrolled up the walls of the theater. And then it closed with everyone from 9-11 scrolled up the walls. So I've seen a couple of them where it's like, I guess we're going to get up and clap, <laughs> but, but, yeah. but, you know, they, they, um, the audience seems to want to clap. So it just depends on if you want to, to give that to them or not. I'm not a director, so I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, you know. I do have to say, it's usually a huge discussion in rehearsal between director and stage managers and designer. Like, how do we, especially shows like that, like, how do we end it? What do we do for curtain call? Like, do we even do a curtain call? It's always such a huge discussion. I think a lot of times it comes down to the performers. If they if they mm. all agree um, to give that up, because that's kind of their acknowledgement. You know what I mean? Mm. So if they agree to not get that from the audience at the end, if this is how they want to leave their story, um, then I've seen them be okay with it. Sometimes they um, 
they don't want uh they don't want to be the one person who would like the applause so i think that's why it gets kind of awkward sometimes yeah uh, but i don't have that um that instinct like i don't even like when they clap at the booth like i just no. <laughs> so so that's not my um uh so that's not my uh my mindset for it i'm you know, everything I do is to hide everybody behind the scenes. So, <laughs> yes, I stay back there for a reason. <laughs> yeah. Like we're in the dark, in all black, in a dimly lit space behind the audience, almost soundproofed <laughs> for, <laughs> yeah, to, for, for, for a reason, like you said. I was just thinking on, on shows I've done like that where like you don't know if you are going to clap or not. As a stage manager, it's always difficult because you're like, do I call the next cue? Do we sit here in black? Maybe I call the cue and they start clapping. And we're just, it's always like me and the lighting, the you know, the person on the board looking at each other, being like, "I don't know." You never know what the Let's audience. Let's go. Mean. And I've seen some weird audience reactions at that mm -hmm. launch. Yeah, um, just because the audience is so close. Like when we ah, did okay. "Raisin in the Sun," there's a moment where the daughter. Pardon me. She says that she's not religious, and the mom slaps her. And a woman in the third row was like, "Mm-hmm, yes." Yeah. <laughs> started clapping, and I was like, "Oh, okay." And, we <laughs> and a couple was making out in the front row, like all of Act One. And during Fences wasn't it? That's, no, it's not, not a lighthearted. Like I came here to make out because that's what you do. Yeah, and it was two dudes, so that got some of the older people off a little bit. That's really uh -huh. <laughs> Yeah, but right in the front row, um, one of the actors went backstage and joked. He said, well, once they saw me, they just couldn't help it. So <laughs> he's, like, he's like, they just had to react. But yeah, um, I've seen some interesting things uh, that audience members have done. Um, but you and know. it's different every time. Like you don't, you can't expect that reaction to happen the same time you know there there'll be whole audiences where like they'll clap as soon as the blackout happens and then there's somewhere like you wait 20 seconds and you're like oh <laughs> well that's also one thing you work in all kinds of different sizes of theaters and styles and stuff like that the playhouse has um the thrust stage which is downstairs the main stage where audience sits on three sides and then also upstairs the smaller theater the studio has a proscenium space but in both spaces the stage is not there's no separation. Like you can walk on the stage easily. So that sometimes is an issue, like throwing people off the stage. Like don't touch that prop. You can't just walk on stage and pick up that prop. But yes. so how is it as a lighting designer, uh, do you have a preference if you like the found space or thrust or proscenium or more separated? Do you have a preference on how you, where you do lighting? I, it depends on the show. I lately I've been much more drawn to more environmental, more um, immersive, getting the audience in the house at the campus uh, at Cyprus. We have, I think it's a 600 seat house, our proscenium. And one of the things that I've been doing a lot is lighting the walls of the space during our dance concerts and during the musicals, because college students are not used to being that far away. They're used to a big screen or a phone in their face and that distance yeah zones them out they're not used to that to being that far away i've noticed so anything we can do to bring them into it 
is is something that I've noticed. They tend to really this current generation really wants the more immersive stuff. Uh, but I, it just kind of depends to me. And I think with with the college, it's different because they are so used to the separation of film, but the size of it still being there. And so we're trying to make up for the size, but tell them there isn't a separation. If <laughs> like we can talk to you, we can see you, we can hear you eating, we might break the fourth wall. That is a novelty to them. And that's one of the things that we're always trying to explain, like why you need to see this live, why we don't want you to stream this, even though we're streaming it now, why we want you to be there, you know, and have this actual experience. So I think the space definitely plays into that. I I like the thrust at the Playhouse because wherever you sit, you're getting a very different perspective. And I spend a lot of time in tech trying to move around to see what that is. Because I know if you sit on, on the, when, sorry, I know that when we are in tech, we're looking at it like a proscenium. We're kind of normalizing it a little bit. And then once I go to those sides to see what I've done, sometimes I'm like, okay, got it. This, is, this isn't working, that's not working. So I try to be aware of those three angles the whole time I'm in there. And I've been in there enough times now to where I, I know, um, I, I've tried, I try to sort of fill in where I think some of the blanks are gonna be, but I, I enjoy it. And kind of going all the way back to Glass Menagerie, because that was a memory play and it was non-realistic and it had, um, I was able to use a lot of colors and patterns. So I actually played it up. Wherever you set, you got a very different design. It wasn't a case of something like a, like a living room comedy where you want it to be even and everywhere. Mm -hmm. With that one, I actually played up the difference. So depending on where you were, if you switched sides, it was going to look very different. Um, just kind of this sort of broken textured environment that we created for that. So, I, so it just sort of depends on the show, but um, sometimes... Uh, the space works against you and other times it lends itself to it. Do you find it hard to like light and not get it in the audience's eyes since they're on three sides at the thrust stage? Or do, we, or do you try to get it in their eyes sometimes? No, I definitely don't try to get it in their eyes. And the one time I was going to let it go, Sean literally walked in the room and heard me say it. So, <laughs> like, no, there Damn was a him. time, yeah, I was, just, it was recently and like, it was just spilling over a little bit and I was like, oh, screw it. It's just this one time. And he walked in, no, we're not going to screw it up. Like, he was, he was right there when the one time I was like, okay, fine. But uh, no, we definitely don't try to do that. But, it, you know, when you are in those front rows, it's really tricky. Like, if I see a show, I've only seen three shows on Broadway where I was in the front row. And there's very little that can be hidden. Mm -hmm. you know, it's in your face. You might get spit on. You're going to yes. be able to see, you might see the wings. You can see the, you can see down in the pit. Like you just see, you see some of the cracks and they know it. Um, and if you ever get box seats, I had oh, box seats. Backstage. <laughs> yeah, I had box seats for carousel. I was watching people in a going down a fluorescent hall, like a fluorescent lit hall. So like it just depends on um where you uh it just kind of depends on what you can uh, how sorry, it's sort of like how far you can suspend your disbelief and what you can forgive mm -hmm. as an audience member. And so mm -hmm. with something like the playhouse, you know you sit that close, there's going to be a glow on you. You know yeah. what I mean? One way or another. Um, if anything, it's the house lights that throw me. 
in there. I always have to make sure the house lights are on when we make pre-show or intermission because they completely change it. I, like, like because they they spill on uh, to the stage a lot. So, uh, but yeah, no, I don't try to blind them, um, with the exception of the opening of Sweeney Todd. Well, I think, well, yeah, that was a purposeful blinding. Hair had some some blinding moments, I think, but not much. Oh, yeah, yeah, I did. Wait, hair was upstairs. <laughs> no, no, no. Hair, hair was upstairs, but Sweeney okay. Todd was upstairs too. But when okay. they all strip, it was like, yeah, we want them to strip if they want to strip, but we also don't need to be like one hundred percent bright lights on the front of them. No, that was, um, you know, and also for that scene, the scene still has a soloist singing. Okay. You know what I mean? So so that scene is, um, that's actually a really good topic um, because I have lit some really delicate moments. Spring Awakening was another one where you just have certain scenes and um, and when you get to those points, usually by that point, the director's gotten them to where they are comfortable, but that is the most, uh, most intimate of the collaborations that I have with performers. I don't have a lot of communication creatively with the performers i generally speak with the artistic director the director the choreographer but when in those moments we do spend some time to make sure that they are comfortable to let them know hey here's what we are doing and sometimes when you're in tech it's like are they going to strip for tech or are they just going to you know what i mean so you have to have those conversations but you just keep it very professional you just keep it really respectful um and and just sort of let them know you know we're in the room, we're doing this, we're telling the story, this is part of it, and we're not going to make it weird. It's not the time for jokes or anything like that, you know? And you just treat it with the dignity that it deserves. I know for hair, because I was working on that one too, It we weren't sure how it was going to be, and I swear we couldn't keep the clothes on those actors. <laughs> they were like, yeah, we get to strip, and every one of them stripped. Like, nobody was holding back and I think by the end it was just like are you guys stripping earlier and earlier every night they just like were so close to each other and so into it that they loved it yeah. <laughs> hair uh yeah hair is that show yeah hair, <laughs> for sure this was the third time I've encountered hair and it's that show it just turns those actors into a tribe they just actually <laughs> become one uh yep. We were supposed to be doing it now at Cyprus, actually, but because of the unpleasantness, we're going to wait <laughs> and, um, and until we're fully back on campus. Yeah, but, it'd be kind yeah. of hard to do all those intimate moments through a computer screen and not you know, touching in COVID safe. Yeah, it's really funny. One of the shows that's being licensed right now is Spring Awakening. And I'm like, why would you do virtual Spring, spring Awakening? Yeah, there's some moments in there that just are going to be awkward to watch yeah. on the webcam. <laughs> like, there's just doesn't lend itself to that, in my opinion. Well, like, there's some shows they have, I think, hair, like, education virgin. And I'm like, uh, what? So you cut out the drug, sex, and alcohol. What do, what do you have left? Which is the education the show is trying to give. Exactly. <laughs> right. That's the part that people need education on. Yeah. So I, don't I was like, that. never understood that. Yeah. I've never been a fan of those. I'm not a fan of of um, junior editions either. Yeah. I'm like, well, don't take the, the meat out of it. Like there's Into the Woods Junior and they only do act one. Yeah. But act like, two is the best part. 
I'm like, you took the whole point of it out. Yep. We can get, the, we can get act one anywhere. Yeah. Disney does act one. Let's do act two yeah. where everybody dies. Yeah. So I've never understood when people try to protect, um, you know, youth theater groups from that. I'm like, there's more to the work than that. I also wish youth theaters would do plays. They ignore plays. They only yep, want to do music. Musicals. Yeah, they I do. Like, I was like, 90% of the shows are not musical, but we ignore that entire, <laughs> we ignore the entire portion of it. So I don't, I don't always get it. I feel like Broadway is the same way. Like there's as many straight plays on Broadway than musicals, but all you ever hear about are the musicals. Those are the ones that like sell out the fastest. They're the ones that are all over all of the advertisements, you know, and you're like, oh yeah, there's these other, you know, like fences and other important shows that are not musicals that you just don't even think about. Yeah, we had a great year for plays before the lockdown. We had some really great plays yeah. that were coming. And it was um, it was annoying, is the word I'll choose, when people were upset about Frozen closing, which is going to tour and make a ton of money. But they yeah. ignored the play Hangman, which came in from, mm-hmm. the, from the West End. They ignored Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf with Laurie Metcalf. I was like, that didn't even make it to opening. That's not going to reopen. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I was like, there were some really good, solid new works and revised works that we were seeing that did not even get a chance. I'm like, f- and we're mourning Frozen? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it's that's, that's going to go on tour that we'll all still get a chance to see. There were other shows that don't have that the benefit of that funding that um, that just got lost in this messy year. So, yeah, I don't like how they take a back seat when yeah a lot of times there's more plays but the musicals are the ones that everybody um associates with well you just mentioned tours straight shows don't even tour rarely they do not tour like sometimes they'll remount in la we have the benefit of that because we have the amundsen and the mark we'll get a lot of broadway plays will come here and then i don't know if they stop maybe like chicago or something like that so it's not really a tour but sometimes they will at least um, get a remount over here. So we are lucky enough to do that. Um, I was a judge for the Ovation Awards. I'm not really sure what's happening with that right now. Yeah. <laughs> but um, that's how I saw a lot of shows was doing that, was I got to go um, and and be there as a voter for, for that ceremony. But that ceremony should have been happening right now. Yeah, the, so middle, I don't the middle happened. of January, the end of January, usually when it yeah. was. Yeah, I don't know what happened to the Ovations. They haven't they haven't told us so we're just kind of all on a standby but I, but i can i can see how you know there's probably not any money right now for an award ceremony based in theater when they don't have any <laughs> so. and there's, yeah we had three and months of it and then everyone stopped so not helpful yeah but okay, we still well, don't know when the movies are going to be the nominations came out <laughs> they never said when the ceremony will be oh, oh. Well, yeah. you're right then. It probably is like the money. Yeah, they, they announced well, the nominees. Together. Like, wow. Yeah, but I thought maybe they'd do a virtual one. But no, they announced the nominees for the Tonys like three months ago. And they just never did the ceremony. <laughs> That's pretty funny. We'll look into that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're getting close to an hour. So uh, is there I'm anything... So sorry. I try not to be. <laughs> so. Oh, we so many. Sometimes we just go way past. And I'm like, ah, it was exciting. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
so you are starting classes soon. So yes. that's one mm -hmm. thing you're working on. Are there any shows you have coming up that you can talk about or just mostly school right now? Um, I, so I had a virtual show that just closed. So right now I don't have anything officially booked until spring. No, until summer. Um, that'll be back at ICT. So I'm hoping to be a part of their reopening season, but um, I don't know. Um, one, I don't know if they've announced the title, so I've got to be quiet about that, but hopefully I'll be a part uh, of that when that happens. I'd certainly want to be back at the Playhouse and pick up where we left off. We were in the middle of Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, yeah. Yeah, and then going into Angels in America, which yeah. would have coincided with my class where we read it. So, um Don was really so that, excited about that one. Yeah. So I'm hoping that all of those things happen as soon as they can. Um, we're doing three virtual shows. We're doing Water by the Spoonful, actually, which oh. we did together. Stacey. Yeah. Um, with one of my students' dads. Shoots and Ladders is one of the is the father of one of my students. <laughs> That's what I just found out. So we're doing Water by the Spoonful virtually, and we're doing a play called The Party Hop, which is about um a a it's a comedy about quarantine so people are just partying they're going to different zoom parties all night yeah we're doing a show that takes place in the chat room and a show that takes place on zoom so we'll be able to stream both of those um and then our musical is by Pesek and paul and it's called edges and it's it's, like, it's kind of like a musical review it's a song cycle but we're okay. hoping to actually do that on the deck of the stage um the students will just come in one at a time and so um you're like so that one won't be a zoom show it'll be a stream like dream yeah it'll actually be using they'll be using i think the set from in the heights from last year because our set's still there we can't take anything down <laughs> <laughs> yes. so we're just gonna you know pick up where we left off. I have four classes this semester. I have intro to theater, lighting design, play analysis, and diversity in American theater. And um, I do want to come take some of your classes, actually. That's, uh, that's a good variety. Yeah, we're, it's going really well. And then if anybody um, listening to this is interested, they can go to cypresscollegetheater.com and find out all the information about our program. Uh, there and our class schedule and they can get a hold of all of us that way. Um, but yeah, I, our goal is, you know, to safely get through what we're getting, what we're all dealing with right now and hopefully be back on campus. Hopefully I'm really, I, I'm going to say into the semester, by the end of the semester, that's my naive goal <laughs> is, is for us to at least be able to set foot on campus in some way by the end of the semester, maybe not, but, um, you know, I think everybody is hoping to be on campus in the fall. I think all the schools are mm -hmm. hoping for that mm -hmm. by fall, but I, I, I want into the semester. That's what I'm putting into the universe. <laughs> so, okay, safely, safely. Safe we could go you. now, you know, but you know, I want to go. <laughs> and I don't think your students are 65 or older, so they're not getting the vaccine right now. You might yeah. have one or two students that age, but probably not many. No, and college students are very bad at keeping six feet apart, especially college theater students. That's not really their thing. <laughs> so, especially not if we were doing hair right now, like we were supposed I to. I was about to say, we've already yeah. talked about clothes. Yeah, so none of that um, is feasible right now. But no, we have a really great group of students. 
Um, we have a new head of the acting program, um, Jennifer McMillan Brick, and she's she's terrific. She's doing a lot of great things. Um, she got us back into the American College Theater Festival. Oh, uh, nice. That yeah, after did that in college. Year, yeah, after years, and we placed. And that was her That's first excellent. semester. Yeah, it was her first semester, and she did that. And we have a great musical theater program run by department chair Jim Hermel. And um, he's been there for over 20 years now, so he knows how to get people prepared and ready for that industry. So I've got a really great team. Um, That's great. And we're just, you know, doing what we do and looking forward to getting back to 100%. Aren't we all? Yeah. <laughs> That'd be great. Okay, last question. Do you have any twin stories? Okay. Do I have I only warned any... you like five seconds before the podcast started, so. <laughs> yeah, um, I, let's see. Do I have any twin stories? I've got one I probably shouldn't tell. <laughs> you are not the first person to say that. <laughs> okay. It doesn't involve me, but I, but I know of it. Um, um, do I have any twin stories? I'm trying to think. I'm not sure if I do. I've had students who were twins, um, but they, there, there weren't really any stories behind it. I'm trying to think if I have a twin story. Not really. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I do. I've had students who are twins, but they're, but you know, they were just, they just came to class and did their thing and, and, well. and got through it. Yeah. I've, I've done a show, I think, where we had two twins in it. And so I had to learn to tell them apart, but that's about, that's about it. We had sisters when I was in high school um, who were twins and they were both doing theater and that took a while, but we, we eventually got there. They're very different personalities. <laughs> nice. Yeah, but that's all. I'm, I'm sorry to disappoint. <laughs> so. We just, it's always funny, the stories people come up with, because most of the time we're like, oh, yeah, we've done that. <laughs> I will probably think of something at like midnight. And I'm like, damn. <laughs> but, <Yep. laughs> you know, all the time. That's how it always happens. <laughs> Excellent. Well, uh, we we've hit an hour, so thank you, Donnie. That was oh, learned learned that we need to go back to school for more educational classes in useful. Things. Um, can I say one last thing? Oh yeah. So one thing that I do want to at least highlight, I would love for anybody who's listening, who's interested in design, as much as I want to plug my program, something that I just discovered, um, and the best way is probably through Instagram is called Design Action. And it's a, it's basically, it's an equity initiative that's happening nationwide for designers that want to change the, um, the racial, gender, physical ability disparages that we see in the theater design um, industry and to help do that. And so I was a part of a committee that did that for people of color over the summer on campus. We came up with this document um, to do that on campus. And so the next thing that I'm trying to get involved in is this one, which is one nationwide and two specifically in my field. So anybody who's interested in that should definitely check out that page. It's called um, design action. Design action. There might be a hyphen in there. That's amazing. I mean, we've been doing a lot of work on that in the stage managers association. And I know opera directors are working on it, but uh, it's really nice to hear that designers are, are, so you know what it is? 
make a change. Yeah, it's design underscore action underscore on Instagram. Perfect. Or design hyphen action.com and you'll find it. So they just started it, but there's a lot of big people behind that and they are really trying to do this. So that's something that I'm I'm hoping I had nothing to do with the launch of it, but I'm hoping to now join in and help with because that was a big thing. Like I mentioned, I'm teaching a diversity in theater class. And so we had a lot of those conversations where I was bringing guest artists in every week uh, yeah. to talk about those things from Arab American theater, Native American theater, things like that, just to have those conversations with those groups that we don't see. So that's kind of become a, a side project of mine is, is um, to, to be a part of that, that change. Yeah. And hopefully with this new administration that finally came in, we can <laughs> hope to see can some say, progress. Can we talk about that? I could go another hour. <laughs> <laughs> we could go an hour just talking about design action because there's been so much, so much discussion about that in our field right now. Absolutely. And there's one other thing that I'm so happy I never have to talk about again. So, <laughs> there's, yes. a, there's a voice I never have to hear again. <laughs> family hopefully will go away hopefully yes yeah i'm putting that out into the universe too yes by the end of the semester safely and that can go away (laughs) (laughs) so true cindy and i and our cousin were texting all morning (laughs) finally it's exactly noon on the east coast time are they doing it (laughs) yeah Excellent. Yeah, well, thanks a lot, Donnie. I'm sure I'll see you around the playhouse uh, once we can get back in there safely Absolutely. again. Thank you guys for having me. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, and have fun starting classes. We always do. <laughs> One way or another. Yeah, we stay busy, but um, we always do. Thanks again. It was good to see you guys. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more, visit our website at twinstocktheater.podbean.com and subscribe on iTunes or Google Play Music. You can also interact with us on Facebook or Instagram at Twinstock Theater. Tato Music, Dance Macop, is provided by Kevin McLeod of incomtech.com under Creative Commons License 3.0.